section six of a far country by winston churchill this librivox recording is in the public domain book one chapter six the following september tom peters and i went east together in the early morning boston broke on us like a mecca as we rolled out of the old albany station joint lords of a herdic how sharply the smell of the salt-laden east wind and its penetrating coolness come back to me i seek in vain for words to express the exhilarating effect of that briny coolness on my imagination and of the visions it summoned up of the newer larger life into which i had marvellously been transported we alighted at the parker house full-fledged men of the world and tried to act as though the breakfast of which we partook were merely an incident not an event as though we were seniors and not freshmen assuming an indifference to the beings by whom we were surrounded and who were breakfasting too although the nice-looking ones with fresh faces and trim clothes were all undoubtedly olympians the better to proclaim our nonchalance we seated ourselves on a lounge of the marble-paved lobby and smoked cigarettes this was liberty indeed at length we departed for cambridge in another herdic boston could it be possible everything was so different here as to give the place the aspect of a dream the bullfinch state house the decorous shops the still more decorous dwellings with the purple-paned windows facing the common back bay still boarded up ivy spread suggested of a mysterious and delectable existence we crossed the charles river blue-gray and still that morning traversed a nondescript district and at last found ourselves gazing out of the windows at the mellowed plum-colored bricks of the university buildings all at once our exhilaration evaporated as the herdic rumbled into a side street and backed up before the door of a not too inviting three-storied house with a queer extension on top its steps and vestibule were however immaculate the bell was answered by a plainly overworked servant-girl of whom we inquired for mrs bolton our landlady there followed a period of waiting in a parlour from which the light had been almost wholly banished with slippery horsehair furniture and a marble-topped table and mrs bolton when she appeared dressed in rusty black harmonised perfectly with funereal gloom she was a tall raw-boned severe lady with a peculiar red-mottled complexion that somehow reminded one of the outcropping rocks of her native new england soil you want to see your rooms i suppose she remarked impassively when we had introduced ourselves and as we mounted the stairs behind her tom in a whisper nicknamed her granite face presently she left us hospitable soul said tom who with his hands in his pockets was gazing at the bare walls of our sitting-room we'll have to go into the house furnishing business hughie i vote we don't linger here to-day we'll get melancholia outside however the sun was shining brightly and we departed immediately to explore cambridge and announce our important presences to the proper authorities 
we went into boston to dine it was not until nine o'clock in the evening that we returned and the bottom suddenly dropped out of things he who has tasted that first acute homesickness of college will know what i mean it usually comes at the opening of one's trunk the sight of the top tray gave me a pang i shall never forget i would not have believed that i loved my mother so much these articles had been packed by her hands and in one corner among the underclothes on which she had neatly sewed my initials lay the new bible she had bought hugh moriton parrot from his mother september eighteen eighty one i took it up tom was not looking and tried to read a passage but my eyes were blurred what was it within me that pressed and pressed until i thought i could bear the pain of it no longer i pictured the sitting-room at home and my father and mother there thinking of me yes i must acknowledge it in the bitterness of that moment i longed to be back once more in the railed-off space on the floor of breck and company writing invoices presently as we went on silently with our unpacking we became aware of someone in the doorway hello you fellows he cried we're classmates i guess we turned to behold an ungainly young man in an ill-fitting blue suit his face was pimply his eyes a teutonic blue his yellow hair rumpled his naturally large mouth was made larger by a friendly grin i'm herman krebs he announced simply who are you we replied i regret to say with a distinct coolness that did not seem to bother him in the least he advanced into the room holding out a large red and serviceable hand evidently it had never dawned on him that there was such a thing in the world as snobbery but tom and i had been coached by ralph hambleton and perry blackwood warned to be careful of our friendships there was a reason in any case mr krebs would not have appealed to us in answer to a second question he was informed what city we hailed from and he proclaimed himself likewise a native of our state why i'm from elkington he exclaimed as though the fact sealed our future relationships he seated himself on tom's trunk and added welcome to old harvard we felt that he was scarcely qualified to speak for old harvard but we did not say so you look as though you'd been pallbearers for somebody was his next observation to this there seemed no possible reply you fellows are pretty well fixed here he went on undismayed gazing about a room which had seemed to us the abomination of desolation your folks must be rich i'm up under the skylight even this failed to touch us his father he told us with undiminished candour had been a german emigrant who had come over in forty nine after the cause of liberty had been lost in the old country and made eyeglasses and opera-glasses there hadn't been a fortune in it he herman had worked at various occupations in the summer time from peddling to farming until he had saved enough to start him at harvard tom who had been bending over his bureau drawer straightened up what did you want to come here for he demanded say what did you mr krebs retorted genially to get an education of course an education 
echoed tom isn't harvard the oldest and best seat of learning in america there was an exaltation in krebs's voice that arrested my attention and made me look at him again a troubled chord had been struck within me sure said tom what did you come for mr krebs persisted to sow my wild oats said tom i expect to have something of a crop too for some reason i could not fathom it suddenly seemed to dawn on mr krebs as a result of this statement that he wasn't wanted well so long he said with a new dignity that curiously belied the informality of his farewell an interval of silence followed his departure well he's got a crust said tom at last my own feelings about mr krebs had become more complicated but i took my cue from tom who dealt with situations simply he'll come in for a few knockouts he declared here's to old harvard the greatest institution of learning in america oh gee our visitor at least made us temporarily forget our homesickness but it returned with redoubled intensity when we had put out the lights and gone to bed before we had left home it had been mildly hinted to us by ralph and perry blackwood that scholarly eminence was not absolutely necessary to one's welfare and happiness at cambridge the hint had been somewhat superfluous but the question remained what was necessary with a view of getting some light on this delicate subject we paid a visit the next evening to our former friends and schoolmates whose advice was conveyed with a masterly circumlocution that impressed us both there are some things that may not be discussed directly and the conduct of life at a modern university which is a reflection of life in the greater world is one of these perry blackwood and ham did most of the talking while ralph characteristically lay at full length on the window-seat interrupting with an occasional terse and cynical remark very much to the point as a sophomore he in particular seemed lifted immeasurably above us for he was as might have been expected already a marked man in his class the rooms which he shared with his cousin made a tremendous impression on tom and me and seemed palatial in comparison to our quarters at mrs bolton's eloquent of the freedom and luxury of undergraduate existence their note perhaps was struck by the profusion of gay sofa pillows then something of an innovation the heavy expensive furniture was of a pattern new to me and on the mantel were three or four photographs of ladies in the alluring costume of the musical stage in which tom evinced a particular interest did grandfather send em he inquired they're hams said ralph and he contrived somehow to get into those two words an epitome of his cousin's character ham was stouter and his clothes were more striking more obviously expensive than ever on our way homeward after we had walked a block or two in silence tom exclaimed don't make friends with the friendless eh hughie we knew enough to begin all right didn't we have i made us out a pair of deliberate calculating snobs well after all it must be remembered that our upbringing had not been of sufficient liberality to include the grubses of this world we did not indeed spend much time in choosing and weighing those whom we should know and those whom we should avoid 
and before the first term of that freshman year was over tom had become a favourite he had the gift of making men feel that he delighted in their society that he wished for nothing better than to sit for hours in their company content to listen to the arguments that raged about him once in a while he would make a droll observation that was greeted with fits of laughter he was always referred to as old tom or good old tom presently when he began to pick out chords on the banjo it was discovered that he had a good tenor voice though he could not always be induced to sing somewhat to the jeopardy of the academic standard that my father expected me to sustain our rooms became a rendezvous for many clubable souls whose maudlin midnight attempts at harmony often set the cocks crowing free from care and despair what care we tis wine tis wine that makes the jollity as a matter of truth on these occasions it was more often beer beer transported thither in tom's new valise given him by his mother and stuffed with snow to keep the bottles cold sometimes granite face adorned in a sky-blue wrapper would suddenly appear in the doorway to declare that we were a disgrace to her respectable house the university authorities should be informed etc etc poor woman we were outrageously inconsiderate of her one evening as we came through the hall we caught a glimpse in the dimly lighted parlour of a young man holding a shy and pale little girl on his lap annie mrs bolton's daughter on the face of our landlady was an expression i had never seen there like a light i should scarcely have known her tom and i paused at the foot of the stairs he clutched my arm darned if it wasn't our friend krebs he whispered while i was by no means so popular as tom i got along fairly well i had escaped from provincialism from the obscure purgatory of the wholesale grocery business new vistas exciting and stimulating had been opened up nor did i offend the sensibilities and prejudices of the new friends i made but gave a hearty consent to a code i found congenial i recognized in the social system of undergraduate life at harvard a reflection of that of the greater world where i hoped some day to shine yet my ambition did not prey upon me mere conformity however would not have taken me very far in a sphere from which i in common with many others desired not to be excluded one day in an idle but inspired moment i paraphrased a song from pinafore applying it to a college imbroglio and the brief and lively vogue it enjoyed was sufficient to indicate a future usefulness i had found myself this was in the last part of the freshman year and later on i became a sort of amateur class poet laureate many were the skits i composed and tom sang them during that freshman year we often encountered herman krebs whistling merrily on the stairs got your themes done he would inquire cheerfully and tom would always mutter when he was out of earshot he has got a crust when i thought about krebs at all and this was seldom indeed his manifest happiness puzzled me our cool politeness did not seem to bother him in the least 
on the contrary i got the impression that it amused him he seemed to have made no friends and after that first evening memorable for its homesickness he never ventured to repeat his visit to us one windy november day i spied his somewhat ludicrous figure striding ahead of me his trousers above his ankles i was bundled up in a new ulster of which i was secretly quite proud but he wore no overcoat at all well how are you getting along i asked as i overtook him he made clear as he turned his surprise that i should have addressed him at all but immediately recovered himself oh fine he responded i've had better luck than i expected i'm correspondent for two or three newspapers i began by washing windows and doing odd jobs for the professor's wives he laughed i guess that doesn't strike you as good luck he showed no resentment at my patronage but a self-sufficiency that made my sympathy seem superfluous giving the impression of an inner harmony and content that surprised me i needn't ask how you're getting along he said at the end of the freshman year we abandoned mrs bolton's for more desirable quarters i shall not go deeply into my college career recalling only such incidents as seen in the retrospect appear to have had significance i have mentioned my knack for song-writing but it was not i think until my junior year there was startlingly renewed in me my youthful desire to write to create something worth while that had so long been dormant the inspiration came from alonzo cheney instructor in english a remarkable teacher in spite of the finicky mannerisms which tom imitated and when in reading aloud certain magnificent passages he forgot his affectations he managed to arouse cravings i thought to have deserted me forever was it possible after all that i had been right and my father wrong that i might yet be great in literature a mere hint from alonzo cheney was more highly prized by the grinds than fulsome praise from another teacher and to his credit it should be recorded that the grinds were the only ones he treated with any seriousness he took pains to answer their questions but towards the rest of us the chosen he showed a thinly veiled contempt none so quick as he to detect a simulated interest or a wily effort to make him ridiculous and few tried this a second time for he had a rapier-like gift of repartee that fixed the offender like a moth on a pin he had a way of eyeing me at times his glasses in his hand a queer smile on his lips as much as to imply that there was one at least among the lost who was made for better things not that my work was poor but i knew that it might have been better out of his classes however beyond the immediate disturbing influence of his personality i would relapse into indifference returning one evening to our quarters which were now in the yard i found tom seated with a blank sheet before him thrusting his hand through his hair and biting the end of his penholder to a pulp in his muttering which was mixed with the curious stingless profanity of which he was master i caught the name of cheney and i knew that he was facing the crisis of a fortnightly theme the subject assigned was a narrative of some personal experience and it was to be handed in on the morrow my own theme was already written i've been holding down this chair for an hour and i can't seem to think of a thing 
he rose to fling himself down on the lounge i wish i was in canada why canada trout fishing with uncle jake at that club of his where he took me last summer tom gazed dreamily at the ceiling whenever i have some darned foolish theme like this to write i want to go fishing and i want to go like the devil i'll get uncle jake to take you too next summer i wish you would say that's living all right hughie up there among the tamaracks and balsams and he began for something like the thirtieth time to relate the adventures of the trip as he talked the idea presented itself to me with sudden fascination to use this incident as the subject of tom's theme to write it for him from his point of view imitating the droll style he would have had if he had been able to write for when he was interested in any matter his oral narrative did not lack vividness i began to ask him questions what were the trees like for instance how did the french canadian guides talk he had the gift of mimicry aided by a partial knowledge of french i wrote down a few sentences as they sounded the canoe had upset and he had come near drowning i made him describe his sensations i'll write your theme for you i exclaimed when he had finished gee not about that why not it's a personal experience his gratitude was pathetic by this time i was so full of the subject that it fairly clamoured for expression and as i wrote the hours flew once in a while i paused to ask him a question as he sat with his chair tilted back and his feet on the table reading a detective story i sketched in the scene with bold strokes the desolate boy brule on the mountain side the polished crystal surface of the pool broken here and there with the circles left by rising fish i pictured armand the guide his pipe between his teeth holding the canoe against the current and i seemed to smell the sharp tang of the balsams to hear the roar of the rapids below then came the sudden hooking of the big trout habitant oaths from armand bouleversement wetness darkness confusion a half-strangled feeling a brief glimpse of green things and sunlight and then strangulation or what seemed like it strangulation the sense of being picked up and hurled by a terrific force whither a blinding whiteness in which it was impossible to breathe one sharp almost unbearable pain then another then oblivion finally awakening to be confronted by a much worried uncle jake by this time the detective story had fallen to the floor and tom was huddled up in his chair asleep he arose obediently and wrapped a wet towel around his head and began to write once he paused long enough to mutter yes that's about it that's the way i felt and set to work again mechanically all the praise i got for what i deemed a literary achievement of the highest order at three o'clock a m he finished pulled off his clothes automatically and tumbled into bed i had no desire for sleep my brain was racing madly like an engine without a governor i could write i could write i repeated the words over and over to myself all the complexities of my present life were blotted out and i beheld only the long sweet vista of the career for which i was now convinced that nature had intended me my immediate fortunes became unimportant 
immaterial no juice of the grape i had ever tasted made me half so drunk with the morning of course came the reaction and i suffered the after sensations of an orgy awaking to a world of necessity cold and grey and slushy and necessity alone made me rise from my bed my experience of the night before might have taught me that happiness lies in the trick of transforming necessity but it did not the vision had faded temporarily at least and such was the distraction of the succeeding days that the subject of the theme passed from my mind one morning tom was later than usual in getting home i was writing a letter when he came in and did not notice him yet i was vaguely aware of his standing over me when at last i looked up i gathered from his expression that something serious had happened so mournful was his face and yet so utterly ludicrous say hugh i'm in a deuce of a mess he announced what's the matter i inquired he sank down on the table with a groan it's alonzo he said then i remembered the theme what what's he done i demanded he says i must become a writer think of it me a writer he says i'm a young shakespeare that i've been lazy and hid my light under a bushel he says he knows now what i can do and if i don't keep up the quality he'll know the reason why and write a personal letter to my father oh hell in spite of his evident anguish i was seized with a convulsive laughter tom stood staring at me moodily you think it's funny don't you i guess it is but what's going to become of me that's what i want to know i've been in trouble before but never in any like this and who got me into it you here was gratitude you've got to go on writing em now his voice became desperately pleading say hugh old man you can temper em down temper em down gradually and by the end of the year let's say they'll be about normal again he seemed actually shivering the end of the year i cried the predicament striking me for the first time in its fullness say you've got a crust you'll do it if i have to hold a gun over you he announced grimly mingled with my anxiety which was real was an exultation that would not down nevertheless the idea of developing tom into a shakespeare tom who had not the slightest desire to be one i was appalling besides having in it an element of useless self-sacrifice from which i recoiled on the other hand if alonzo should discover that i had written his theme there were penalties i did not care to dwell upon with such a cloud hanging over me i passed a restless night as luck would have it the very next evening in the level light under the elms of the square i beheld sauntering towards me a dapper figure which i recognized as that of mr cheney himself as i saluted him he gave me an amused and most disconcerting glance and when i was congratulating myself that he had passed me he stopped fine weather for march parrot he observed yes sir i agreed in a strange voice by the way he remarked contemplating the bare branches above our heads 
that was an excellent theme your roommate handed in i had no idea that he possessed such such genius did you by any chance happen to read it yes sir i read it weren't you surprised inquired mr cheney well yes sir that is i mean to say he talks just like that sometimes that is when it's anything he cares about indeed said mr cheney that's interesting most interesting in all my experience i do not remember a case in which a gift has been developed so rapidly i don't want to give the impression ah that there is no room for improvement but the thing was very well done for an undergraduate i must confess i never should have suspected it in peters and it's most interesting what you say about his cleverness in conversation he twirled the head of his stick apparently lost in reflection i may be wrong he went on presently i have an idea it is you i must literally have jumped away from him he paused a moment without apparently noticing my panic that it is you who have influenced peters sir i am wrong then or is this merely commendable modesty on your part oh no sir then my hypothesis falls to the ground i had greatly hoped he added meaningly that you might be able to throw some light on this mystery i was dumb parrot he asked have you time to come over to my rooms for a few minutes this evening certainly sir he gave me his number in brattle street like one running in a nightmare and making no progress i made my way home only to learn from hallam who lived on the same floor that tom had inconsiderately gone to boston for the evening with four other weary spirits in search of relaxation avoiding our club table i took what little nourishment i could at a modest restaurant and restlessly paced the moonlit streets until eight o'clock when i found myself in front of one of those low-gabled colonial houses which on less soul-shaking occasions had exercised a great charm on my imagination my hand hung for an instant over the bell i must have rung it violently for there appeared almost immediately an old lady in a lace cap who greeted me with gentle courtesy and knocked at a little door with glistening panels the latch was lifted by mr cheney himself come in parrot he said in a tone that was unexpectedly hospitable i have rarely seen a more inviting room a wood fire burned brightly on the brass andirons flinging its glare on the big white beam that crossed the ceiling and reddening the square panes of the windows in their panelled recesses between these were rows of books attractive books in chaste bindings red and blue books that appealed to be taken down and read there was a table covered with reviews and magazines and neat piles and a lamp so shaded as to throw its light only on the white blotter of the pad two easy chairs covered with flowered chintz were ranged before the fire in one of which i sank much bewildered upon being urged to do so i utterly failed to recognize alonzo in this new atmosphere and he had moreover dropped the subtly sarcastic manner i was wont to associate with him jolly old house isn't it 
he observed as though i had casually dropped in on him for a chat and he stood with his hands behind him stretched to the blaze looking down at me it was built by a certain colonel draper who fought at louisbourg and afterwards fled to england at the time of the revolution he couldn't stand the patriots i'm not so sure that i blame him either are you interested in colonial things mr parrot i said i was if the question had concerned aztec relics my answer would undoubtedly have been the same and i watched him dazedly while he took down a silver porringer from the shallow mantel-shelf it's not a revere he said in a slightly apologetic tone as though to forestall a comment but it's rather good i think i picked it up at a sale in dorchester but i have never been able to identify the coat of arms he showed me a ladle with the names of patience and william simpson engraved quaintly thereon and took down other articles in which i managed to feign an interest finally he seated himself in the chair opposite crossed his feet putting the tips of his fingers together and gazing into the fire so you thought you could fool me he said at length i became aware of the ticking of a great clock in the corner my mouth was dry i'm going to forgive you he went on more gravely for several reasons i don't flatter as you know it's because you carried out the thing so perfectly that i am led to think you have a gift that may be cultivated parrot you wrote that theme in the way peters would have written it if he had not been what shall i say scripturally inarticulate and i trust it may do you some good if i say it was something of a literary achievement if not a moral one thank you sir i faltered have you ever he inquired lapsing a little into his lecture-room manner seriously thought of literature as a career have you ever thought of any career seriously i once wished to be a writer sir i replied tremulously but refrained from telling him of my father's opinion of the profession ambition a purer ambition than i had known for years leaped within me at his words he alonzo cheney had detected in me the promethean fire i sat there until ten o'clock talking to the real mr cheney a human mr cheney unknown in the lecture-room nor had i suspected one in whom cynicism and distrust of undergraduates of my sort seemed so ingrained of such idealism he did not pour it out in preaching delicately unobtrusively and on the whole rather humorously he managed to present to me in a most disillusionizing light that conception of the university held by me and my intimate associates after i had left him i walked the quiet streets to behold as through dissolving mists another harvard and there trembled in my soul like the birth-struggle of a flame something of the vision later to be immortalized by st gaudens the spirit of harvard responding to the spirit of the republic to the call of lincoln who voiced it the place of that bronze at the corner of boston common was as yet empty but i have since stood before it to gaze in wonder at the light shining in darkness on mute uplifted faces 
black faces at harvard's son leading them on that the light might live and prevail i too longed for a cause into which i might fling myself in which i might lose myself i halted on the sidewalk to find myself staring from the opposite side of the street at a familiar house my old landlady's mrs bolton's and summoned up before me was the tired smiling face of herman krebs was it because when he had once spoken so crudely of the university i had seen the reflection of her spirit in his eyes a light still burned in the extension roof krebs light another shone dimly through the ground glass of the front door obeying a sudden impulse i crossed the street mrs bolton in the sky-blue wrapper and looking more forbidding than ever answered the bell life had taught her to be indifferent to surprises and it was i who became abruptly embarrassed oh it's you mr parrot she said as though i had been a frequent caller i had never once darkened her threshold since i had left her house yes i answered and hesitated is mr krebs in well she replied in a lifeless tone which nevertheless had in it a touch of bitterness i guess there's no reason why you and your friends should have known he was sick sick i repeated is he very sick i calculate he'll pull through she said sunday the doctor gave him up and no wonder he hasn't had any proper food since he's been here she paused eyeing me if you'll excuse me mr parrot i was just going up to him when you rang certainly i replied awkwardly would you be so kind as to tell him when he's well enough that i came to see him and that i'm sorry there was another pause and she stood with a hand defensively clutching the knob yes i'll tell him she said with a sense of having been baffled i turned away walking back toward the yard my attention was attracted by a slowly approaching cab whose occupants were disturbing the quiet of the night with song charlotte tis wine tis wine that maketh charlotte the vehicle drew up in front of a new and commodious building i believe the first of those designed to house undergraduates who were willing to pay for private bathrooms and other modern luxuries out of one window of the cab protruded a pair of shoeless feet out of the other a hatless head i recognized as belonging to tom peters hence i surmised that the feet were his also the driver got down from the box and a lively argument was begun inside for there were other occupants as to how mr peters was to be disembarked and i gathered from his frequent references to the shipshin obelisk that the engineering problem presented struck him as similar to the unloading of cleopatra's needle careful careful he cautioned as certain expelling movements began from within easy ham you jam fool keep the door shut you'll break me now jerry all heaves together exclaimed a voice from the blackness of the interior will you wait a minute mr durrett sir implored the cab-driver you'll be after ruining me cab entirely loud roars and vigorous resistance from the obelisk the cab rocking violently this gentleman 
meaning me will have him by the head and i'll get hold of his feet sir which he did after a severe kick in the stomach it's all right martin to be sure it is mr peters now will ye rest easy a while sir i'm asphyxiated cried another voice from the darkness the mind voice of jerome kime our classmate get the tackles under him came forth in commanding tones from coney bear in the meantime many windows had been raised and much gratuitous advice was being given the three occupants of the cab seat who had previously clamoured for mr peters removal now inconsistently resisted it suddenly he came out with a jerk and we had him fairly upright on the pavement minus a collar and tie and the buttons of his evening waistcoat those who remained in the cab engaged in a riotous game of hunt the slipper while tom peered into the dark interior observing gravely the progress of the sport first flew out an overcoat and a much battered hat finally the pumps all of which in due time were adjusted to his person and i started home with him with much parting counsel from the other three where in hell were you hughie he inquired hunted all over for you had a thousand good time went to babcock's had champagne then to see babesh in the woods ham knows one of the babesh had supper with four of em nice babesh for heaven's sake don't step on me again i cried spologize old man but you know i'm william shakespeare can do what i damn please he halted in the middle of the street and recited dramatically not marble nor the gilded monuments of princes shall outlive my powerful rhyme how's that alonjo bagosh where did you learn it i demanded momentarily forgetting his condition from ralph he replied says i wrote it can't remember after i got him to bed a service i had learned to perform with more or less proficiency i sat down to consider the events of the evening to attempt to get a proportional view the intensity of my disgust was not hypocritical as i gazed through the open door into the bedroom and recalled the times when i too had been in that condition tom peters drunk and sleeping it off was deplorable without doubt but hugh parrot drunk was detestable and had no excuse whatever nor did i mean by this to set myself on a higher ethical plane for i felt nothing but despair and humility in my state of clairvoyance i perceived that he was a better man than i and that his lapses proceeded from a love of liquor and the transcendent sense of good fellowship that liquor brings End of section 6